Welcome to Indie Depth, the show where we go in-depth with independent filmmakers. I'm your host, Andrew Froning, and today with me, I have Alex Alessi, Central Jersey filmmaker, who has just completed his second feature film, When Everything's Gone. Hey, Alex. Hey, what's going on, man? How you doing? Doing okay, doing okay. Yourself? Making it through. I don't yeah. know if you've heard of this pandemic. I, I, yeah, I'm, that's what I'm doing here. Like, I have nothing else... <laughs> to do you know it's just in case no one knew it's this or like you know just pace the house you know add an extra inch or two to the carpet absolutely (laughs) so um finish your second feature film that's that's great uh what's what's the status of that uh right now we are working on getting it ready for screeners so we can put in the film festivals which is you know it's exciting because we uh i wrote it in 2014 i started so it's been like six years of just writing and pitching and filming it in different stages, acting, preparing for it. And then, of course, like two years or whatever of editing and doing all the post work. So yeah, it's a, it's long... a long process, but we're excited. Yeah, great. Yes, it is a long process. And it being a long process and taking so much of your time, you want to make sure that the story um, is perfect. Because story is everything, you know, you can shoot a bunch of things, but if they don't work together, who the fuck cares? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I mean, really. So, if if there's nothing going on, why why? Yeah, yeah, there's no point. So, you have to respect your audience and, um, you know, respect that the story that you've chosen, yet you can tell it in a way that makes sense. So, tell me about your approach to story structure. Uh, Well, I think story structure for me, it, it always comes down to what is the story I'm trying to tell? Um, the structure is really going to be dependent on what that story is. If you're doing a comedy, maybe you want to be a little more straightforward or film it with multiple cameras and you got to make sure those jokes land. So the timing of it is really important and sight gag. So even when you're writing the script, you're going to use a different language to try and convey that. Uh, versus something like when everything's gone, there's a lot of flashbacks. It's very nonlinear. So you're really going to have to think that through and decide how it's going to cut together almost beforehand and then you got to do it all over again in the editing bay um so yeah i mean every story i've done the structure has been handled a little bit differently but for me it always comes down to what am i trying to convey with that story and what's the message what kind of language am i trying to input into it and yeah what kind of characters do i have how is that going to affect the way i tell the story um so yeah it really is particular to every single uh story i'm trying to tell sure and um you know i know you've done a few short films before you started to tackle features so how does the structure of a short film um how does it differ or how can someone who has only done short films start the transition into making a feature film well i think that you're trying to do the same thing either way you're trying to say all right what's my a to b uh at the end you have to have made some kind of point Um, So usually in my short films, uh, the first real short film I did is called The Dead Man. And it's actually a piece of a feature. Hmm. But I found that, you know, obviously using that to try and get the feature made, the idea of using that short was to convey the grander sense of the feature. Now there's a lot more going on, a lot more characters in the feature, but how can I streamline that idea? A lot of times the short film has to be way more streamlined. You have to really, really focus in on that idea. So really the dead man, the folks I want to get is one, this guy, the main character, uh, Tommy, 
he's having some relationship woes. Uh, two, his best friend is kind of toxic and not very good for him, which obviously feeds into the relationship woes. And three, there's going to be some kind of huge issues going on and twists to the story that really brings all that to the forefront and makes the main character, Tommy, realize maybe my friend's not very good and I need to be better for my relationship. Um, now, in the short film, which I would rather people watch, so I'm not going to spoil it, there's a lot going on where there's use of intercutting to convey that um, his friend, I'm trying to remember what his name was, <laughs> is really toxic and how the relationship's going. So there's a moment where Tommy and his girlfriend Alan are in the kitchen talking, and then it was cutting to what's going on outside with his friend. So you could see that his friend's got issues until it all comes smashing together at the end. Hmm. So something like that, you have to be smart with it because it's about 15 minutes. So you're using your time wisely. And yeah, it's really a focused idea because the feature expands it to like 10 characters, and you're going to different spots in time. It's very much like a uh, Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels type movie. Very Guy Ritchie-esque, Tarantino kind of vibes to where you're seeing all these different characters and their stories and how they're going to merge together. Now, um, I've, I've heard it said that a feature film is all about character and you can, you can really go in-depth with having more time, spending more time with the characters. But that's very difficult to do with a short film. So they say a short film should be more about an emotion. Um, do you agree with that? Um, I mean, I think that no matter what you're trying to, you're trying to have your message. And of course, the less time you have to convey something, the less time you have to really focus on the little nuances and things. So yeah, the character you have to, you don't want to condense it down to a caricature of a person, but you really want to try and say, all right, how can I say this is what this guy is quickly and efficiently? Which, in a sense, for a short film, yeah, that's all you got. But feature, that's a good thing, too. Hmm. Um, like, recently I was rewatching Raiders of the Lost Ark, because why not? Sure. And the opening moments, you don't see Indiana Jones' face. Probably for the first, I, I want to guess and say it was like three minutes, five minutes, something like that. But you understand who this guy is as an adventurer without seeing him once, just from the way he's acting around these people. Hmm. It's really important for your characters, especially in a short film. You have to immediately say, um, for instance, in Dead Man, right when the characters pull up, I think the first line from the dick friend is, you think she's still pissed? Tommy looks at him, and his response is just like, all right, whatever. Immediately you know, this guy sucks. Right. He's you just kind of set the stage. Right. You yeah. set the stage in a very economical way. Exactly. And that's the thing is, it's true. Yeah. Feature film, you focus more on character because what you see now, especially today, is you'll get a lot of television. Streaming shows are huge. And bigger filmmakers keep getting involved because they can actually sit there and take what they do in the feature film with a character and say, all right, now I have 10 episodes. Let me go take 10 episodes to expand on and let that growth take way longer. So I think, yeah, obviously. It's way true that you can sit there and you can focus on character a lot more with more runtime. Sure. So I think the shorter a subject gets, the more you have to focus in on the message. It really comes down to... Because I've done one-minute films. Uh, I know Film Riot, plug for their, their merch right here. It's really nice. <laughs> right to that repeat. It's a motto. But they're doing one-minute film challenges during this pandemic. 
And I've done one. It's, it was okay. I think it was a little too all over the place. But the message was kind of like the steps of how I get through this, this quarantine. And, I'm worldwide. and it's like one minute. I'm just like, hey, here's what I do. And I've done another one where it was like, what's something I'm going to do? And it was about a girl with a pregnancy test. And her reaction, at dealing with that dread in a minute. It literally had a timer on a microwave start at the beginning because that was her timer waiting for the pregnancy test. So you boil that down, one minute of storytelling, how do you take that and say, well, what am I saying about this character? You have no time to sit there and take time with dialogue and convey anything, but you can really tell a tight story. So there's always going to be that, but I mean, let's say we take the same idea of a girl with a pregnancy test and you want to expand that to a bigger short film or even a feature. Suddenly, instead of having like a flash of the boyfriend just in the scene, like some kind of weird expressionistic kind of, oh, he's there, but he's not really there thing, <laughs> you can actually have like a, a phone conversation or multiple ones. You Suddenly you turn it into knocked up. That's what happens. You can go through so much more. You can really understand not only the situation this person's in and how that could be affecting her, but you can really understand who she is and how it's affecting people around her. So it just it's all about scope, I think. The longer your film gets, the more you can do. Sure. Um, so, and yeah, do you... That's, Good. Um, I, do yes. you subscribe to the three-act structure, or how rigid are you with kind of following the typical beat sheet for a feature film? Uh, I think, once again, it's, it's always coming down to the story I'm trying to tell. So, for my feature film, Nomad, which I wrote really quick and got together, you really want to have a simple structure. So you really want to focus on, like, all right, first act, here we are introducing people, second act, let's get into the conflict, and then third, let's resolve it. You really want to do that. Something like when everything's gone is closer to a five-act structure. Um, what I'm starting to subscribe to even more is uh, the Dan Harmon story circle. I'm playing around with that and seeing how things line up with that, because that's a really cool method of going around and seeing how a character starts at one point, and by the end, they're changed. And it's, it's a good way, it works with all those type things. But yeah, it's, it's really how you're trying to convey the story, what, what you're trying to say, that lets me decide with how I'm going to write a story, how to use it. I know that I usually, when I'm writing, I do a quick treatment. It's just like, depends on the story, but like nine pages at least. And it's just sitting there jotting down a breakdown of the scenes some idea of like what I want said here, like a little quick note of like, oh, that person said, that's cool. And you go around. And how that comes out, that really can kind of direct you to the structure of how it's going to play out. But usually, yeah, I mean, it's all, I think it's all kind of the same. And it's just about the beats you're trying to hit throughout there. Because, I mean, a five-act structure is really taking a three-act structure and you're just taking that second act and splitting it. Hmm. You know what I mean? You're just adding... That all of a sudden becomes three acts and not just one. And that makes so, it a little more manageable because the second act in a feature is very long, like an hour or more. Yeah, yeah, and it's just it's really just breaking that act up into another act. Because I mean, you could probably theoretically do that with every act. You can sit there and say, all right, first act. Here's the three pieces that make that. But once again, like short film and feature film, it's condensed. It's just a little bit smaller, and then you have a lot more to say in the second and a lot. How do you wrap it up in the third? You know, sometimes the third act in the movie is simply that, wow, man, we did a great job. High five, freeze frame. 
80s were awesome. Especially in the 80s. That's, they that's they it. got to the end, it was over. Credits was roll, over. fantasy, like, 80s hair rock, you know, ballad. Yeah, exactly. I, I watched the thing about, uh, it was just breaking down, because I guess Mortal Kombat, fun movie if you haven't seen it. It's 25 now, so don't feel old. It's cool. It's fine. But someone pointed out, I was like, yeah, they should have probably stopped it before uh, the ending, when it's like, let's tease the sequel. And it's like, he freeze-framed it on, like, Sonic Blade, like, uh, and like yeah. <laughs> okay, all right, fine, because uh, no one knew. I don't no know if I'm in the minority, happen. but I, I love the end to that, because it was like... Oh, oh, I do too. Especially when I was a kid. Like, it's not There's over. There's nothing wrong with the end, but the problem is then you get to the next movie. Yeah. And that's the question. Yep. Like, is that worth it? They were they were serializing it before it was cool. <laughs> um, and, you know, like, that's some with, with the ends of my films... I, I don't particularly like to go and say, let me tease a sequel. I like to just leave it a little bit open for the audience. Agreed. To say, like there, to say we can go in other places, but this story has yeah. a bow on it. Um, I know that I've had I've had some great responses to my film Nomad, and one of them was like, I can't wait to see the sequel. It's like, maybe? I, I don't know. Like, I guess it's possible. Sequel you know, like, to Nomad, homebody. Rich, Richard Linkletter did it. <laughs> He did it with the before uh, before sunrise, sunset, right. and midnight. Like, okay, okay, it's doable, but might take thirteen years. <laughs> yeah, and that's the idea. So maybe we'll see. Maybe in ten years, I get back together with that crew and make a sequel. But yeah, I mean, that's that's definitely how I view story structure, and I think that the only thing that messes with that ever is you obviously write a film to be a certain way, and you say, here's the structure, what's going on, then you get to the edit, and you assemble it and you say all right here it is and sometimes you got to tweak things sometimes a scene that was supposed to be a little bit more in the first act say no this works better in the second or sometimes stuff gets moved around um i know when everything's gone the first cut of that is like two and a half hours because that's just how it starts you go and say all right here's everything i've got and it's like two and a half hours and it might be a little too long and meditative for today's film the font cut is I think an hour and 52 minutes or something like that. Uh, yeah, about an hour, hour and 52 minutes. Still still decent length, but cut a huge chunk of that. And some of that was going to the ending and saying, well, let me rearrange and do this and try that. Because no matter what structure you're going with, you want to make sure you're telling everything as tight as possible. And then you're really getting that message out there, that character growth. Because that's the thing. In the end of the, at the end of the day, the story structure has to be kind of beholden to what you're saying with that film. No matter how long it is, how short, it's all beholden to that. And how does that help you tell the story? So, and that, that comes down to also narratively how you tell it. Um, you know, if you're doing something that you want to feel very in the now, you're going to cut it very linear. But if you want something like When Everything's Gone, where it's telling an expansive story about, ironically, a pandemic, you want to be able to go and say, all right, well, how am I going to go and show the past? How, so this, this story is a little bit more of a mystery because it happened already, but we don't know exactly what happened. Mm-hmm. How am I going to cut that together? And that starts in the script, and by the end of it, some stuff gets moved around in the edit room because it works better. So it's good to have that starting structure with three acts, five, using the story circle. But at the end of the day, you have to be able to say, just because that was there, it might work better here. Because it feels better for the characters and the story and the overall message. 
So just something to keep in mind. Writing never stops in the movie. If you ask George Lucas, it really never stops. Just keeps happening. <laughs> All right, so Alex, you write, direct, edit. Um, writing and editing can be sort of a, you know, by yourself, you know, live in the woods if you want to kind of thing. Um, As I do. Personal journey. But when you're on set, writing, directing, producing, wearing so many hats, um, you've got to have a great team behind you and yes. a team that you can trust. And above all, for you to be doing multiple roles, you have to have great communication skills. So how do you have everyone on the same page um, to execute your vision? Well, a lot of times for myself, uh, the big thing for me is, like you said, I do a lot of things. Uh, sometimes I refer to myself as like a Swiss Army knife of a man. But the thing is, if you know anything about Swiss Army knives, sometimes those scissors don't work that great. You know, so you have to be able to say, I know how to do that thing. I do. But I know this guy over here, he, he's the knife. The big, he's, that's not a knife, that's a knife. He's got a big knife, you know. So I always like to make sure that I understand what my crew's doing before I really can talk to them about it. Because the thing is, if you don't have any idea about something, you do have to trust someone with it, but you might not be able to tell them what you want as a director at the end of the day. Um, I've learned this over countless films, obviously, where you start with someone and you got a couple of cameras, you don't know anything about cinematography. And you're just like, yeah, just film the thing, make it look like the thing. Can you do the thing? And they're like, yeah, I could do the thing. Don't know what that means, but sure, man. <laughs> and then it just, yeah, it doesn't work. It doesn't come out how you like. I mean, I've had stuff where I understand sound. I've been involved with music my entire life, basically. But directing someone to use a shotgun mic and properly holding the boom and all that stuff, that's not something that you're thinking about because you think, yeah, he knows what he's doing. So, you know, I literally have a scene of a short film I never released that's like, that's because he was taping the, the lake because he was holding the pole like this. Instead of actually getting that mic right up in here to what I'm saying, get it out of my frame. So you got you got to understand how these things work, first and foremost. The second, knowing to communicate, knowing to talk to your crew and make sure that they understand what you're thinking, uh, how to do things. I mean, sound has always been the toughest thing where it's like you got to tell someone, hey, you got to get closer. See if you can get closer because the sound's not good. And a lot of times I'm acting in my own film, so I'm trusting my DP. I'm trusting the sound guy to tell me everything's good. So you have to be able to pick up those visual cues to know that's not good. That's not what I want. Mm -hmm. um, so, I mean, definitely on the end of sound, that's something I deal with. Um, and as far as cinematography, that's definitely a trust exercise, especially when you're in front of the camera, because you can't be watching everything back. I mean, if you have enough schedule, you can sit there and watch every tape. But a lot of times, especially in indie filmmaking, our schedules are tight. Um, my film Nomad, I think we shot in 10 days total. Once wow. it was all said and done. Yeah, it was a really quick process. I mean, it was supposed to be just an experimental no-budget no filmmaking process. Um, but my DP, Mike Vernazza, is incredible. Because, one, I knew already from prior experience the plan. Know what shots I want. But also know that when you tell him, this is what I'm thinking, you have to be open to him saying, 
that's not going to work too well. Why don't we do it this way? You know, and you find a happy medium. I think I found every time I make a movie, you, you find a happy medium between, well, this is what my DP was doing, what he was thinking, and this is what I was thinking. And somehow it smashed together. It's like, okay, well, that was his shot. This is my shot. Um, and I learned that because, especially making like the Dead Man, I didn't. I had a shot list plan and all that stuff, but I didn't really communicate with my DP beforehand. So I was giving it to him on the day, and very proud of the movie, but at the same time, a lot of stuff that was in my head didn't come out quite like I wanted because we didn't have that open workflow. So one of the things I've learned over time is having that communication, having that workflow, make sure your plan is concisely like conveyed, but also being willing to say, hey, forget my plan, let's toss it. Um, I think I learned that in one of the worst ways possible because uh, me and my uh, director of photography on When Everything's Gone, uh, William Kaufman, he's awesome. Hire him. Hire Mike. Hire Jamal. Hire Andrew. Everyone. everyone they're all really freaking good. <laughs> everyone should but, hire each other. That's, that's well, what yeah, it is. <laughs> or, you know, if you got a couple million dollars lying around, hire us all so we don't lose money. It's a good idea. It's a very good idea. But um, we were getting ready for When Everything's Gone, and spoiler alert, I wasn't originally the director. Um, and Nero was my co-director, Jeff Sword, who's also amazing. Hire him as well. We had another guy on board, and things didn't work out. But prior to that, we were going on a location scout in Maine. Because part of the film takes place at a cabin, and he's like, yeah, I got this great cabin, it's remote, it's going to look awesome. And he was very right, it was remote. And it might have looked awesome, but there was like barely any electricity, there were flies everywhere, it was a nightmare. So we drove all the way up, nine hours, got there and said, this isn't going to work, let's just head back. So we stopped and we got a lobster dinner up in Maine. Delicious. It was probably like 20 bucks because Maine. The highlight of the journey. <laughs> that was one of the highlights, but on the way back, you know, Will had been sleeping on the ride up, lucky guy. <laughs> so he was awake, and we decided to go through the shots. And we went through every single shot, not even knowing I'm going to direct the movie, and we talked it through. And I realized in that moment just how important it is to sit there and say, okay, here's one thing, and this is why I wrote for a shot list, but here's what you're thinking. How do we make that work? What can we do here? And it really works out every time. I've sat down ever since then with my DPs. I make sure I sit down with them and talk about the shot list. We go through it, and we really, really hammer out the vision. Because if you go into something and you really don't know how it's going to look, at least up here to begin with, and talk about that, you really going to find yourself tripping all over the place trying to find things. And the more budget you have, the more you can focus in on that vision. The more you can say, oh, I want these lights to be you know, red and blue. I want to make sure it's like crazy. Versus you're filming somewhere and you have one light. Or you're using the sun. But you have to have a plan for those things. And the more you talk it out with your DP or anyone on set, the better you'll be. So it's, it's something I really want to make sure I do when I'm, I'm working with my crews. One, I understand the process, and I understand how to do things. I know what I'm good at and what I'm not good at. Um, so like in post, like I do all my own editing. I don't hire anyone because I know that that's something I've I'm, I'm got a really strong suit doing. But if I had to get an editor to do something, I really know how to communicate what I want because I know how to do that. I get it. And that, I think, has to be true with everything. Everything sure. you do, and you need to understand the pitfalls of doing it a different way. 
you have to understand when I didn't do it that way, when I didn't talk it through and didn't understand how to communicate, how did that movie come out? And there are so many movies that are dead somewhere out there on Vimeo that have never seen the light of day that contribute to that idea of like, yeah, that didn't work. Right. So that's no good. So planning and just the experience of doing it and doing it yourself sometimes to know what what goes along with each job. And then on the flip side of it with the acting, uh, for me, especially as a director when I'm directing actors, most of my process for, for getting an actor to do it, I really think, comes before we even get in front of a camera. My casting process, finding the right person for the job, has always been my go-to. It's one of those other things I've learned where you say, all right, I'll, I'll get my friend to do that part. It'll be fine. Just a little, little bit, bit part. It'll, it'll be great. He's got a mustache. It works. It's perfect. Yeah, we get it. Hey, the one time I had a friend with a mustache, it did work. That was stuff. Right. Truly fantastic. Point taken. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I, I've definitely had people where I brought them in, and it's just like, you just don't get how to do the scene, and that's when you really have to try and direct and be like, well, the motivation is, you know, I don't like to get in my actor's way. Mm-hmm. Like if I have to say like let's let's slow the pace down let's do a little stretch out things like that I'll, I'll do it and it does happen you have to do that but usually I like to be like they get the character before I even said in front of the camera they know what they're doing and then they can explore because I know from myself as an actor I like to be able to figure things out for myself as a character I like to know something that's going on I know people have different processes I know some people like to write down an entire backstory of their character and they have journals and stuff. I, I like to just feel it, feel what that character is. Uh, the script, a lot of time, especially when I write a script, should tell you just enough to figure out that character. And a lot of times it comes down to what do they do for work and how does that affect them. So when you're performing and when you're directing other performers, you gotta be able to let people have their process as well. So I mean, I've, I've worked with a lot of actors that they share a simple process of like, yeah, I'm just going to go into a stay of pretend as soon as you say action. But they get it. They don't have to ask many questions. And I've had other ones that really, they need an entire, like, tell me what's going on here. What's this? What is the idea behind this line? Um, and yeah, I mean, that, that also in turn will affect how I'm doing things on set with my DP or how I'm going to do stuff um, in that, that sense. Because the way a performer is going to perform, that really dictates what you can do with a camera or with sound. Because I've definitely had people that don't understand that a microphone, if it's right here, is going to peak if you yell. And they just go right for it. And the boom has no time to react. It's like, well, we'll have to fix that later. So, oh boy, ADR. <laughs> yeah, so it's good to know who you're working with and to definitely talk things out beforehand, whether you're talking to an actor, sound person, um, just you know, a warm body to fill in and hold a reflector, to know what that reflector does. Yes, yeah. <laughs> I, I think the biggest thing that it goes into, obviously, films have budget, but I think it's an important thing for any filmmakers to understand is that the planning phase of your film, pre-production especially on a, a no-budget type feature when it's like your, your pre-production might just be you getting your shot selection just right, having everything ready to go and say, all right, I have two days to film this. 
how can I streamline that down? Um, I know a lot of people love coverage. If you have more than one camera, coverage can be really great. For me, as a filmmaker, coverage, I don't necessarily need it. I've had things where we want for coverage on a, a set because everyone's like, no, we need the coverage. And then you're in the editing bay and it's like, I couldn't get, get the shots I wanted because we were trying to get the wide shot 17 times. I find that when coverage is concerned, you're so focused on got to get this, we've got to get that, you've got to get that, that you're not very open to other creative processes that could come aboard. Yes. Like I, I like to, if I can, if I have the time, I like to storyboard. Um, yes. Even if everything absolutely changes, like 100%, nothing is the storyboard. At least I've gone through what I'm going for in my head. I've put it to paper. I can communicate that with others. And if things change up, things change up. If we have to switch locations, they don't have a window here, we have to change the light source, whatever. We know what the scene is about. Yeah. And that's Things the always change thing. up. You can't avoid it. Things are always going to change up. But having that plan in place and knowing how to throw it away and adjust is really important. I mean, I, I'm, a big, uh, I'm a big advocate of letting your camera roll. A longer take... Um, that's a big thing with me with my actors. That's why getting the right actors is really important to me because having an actor that can really sit there and they know the material, you know, front to back, they can just go do the lines. It lets you just roll. You don't need to say, right, I need to cut this together. Um, there's an instance filming where everything's gone where one of the actors, there were a lot of monologues for this actor, so I understand, but memorization became an issue at certain times, so we had to go ahead and cut up scenes. But there was one moment where I wanted to do this shot as a two shot. And my DP and I, once again, communicating, knew we wanted to do it this way. Everyone was on the same page. And I knew in the second take, I'm like, that's the take. Which, once again, comes down to you know what you can do. If you're an editor, you understand, I know how I'm going to cut this. I want to use that take just like this. One take. Don't let it break. But we continued on to do a third and a fourth take and cut to close-ups and things like that because... After that one take he got through, he had trouble getting it, so it moved to let's get some coverage. So, yeah, you, you got to know your, your team's strengths, and you got to also know what you need, because especially in the, in the filmmaking, you don't have the budget to sit there and be David Fincher. You can't sit there and say, I want 117 takes of this one close-up just because I don't like the way you close that door, which I don't know how that works. Film. I, I do a lot of times two, three takes. Because even though we have digital cameras, like, come on. I, I can't do that. I don't have the time. I don't have the budget. My actors are tired. And you can and see actors that. get tired. Like, it, sometimes if yeah. I want something a certain way, I'll find myself directing the actors a little more. I'm, I'm big on rhythm. So, yeah. you know, if this person walks over here and then this person says this or this action happens, I don't want, like, a lag. But I find if, I, if we don't work that out beforehand in a rehearsal... If I ask for seven takes, yeah, the rhythm might be perfect, but you can see it, you can hear it, you can feel it with the actors. Sure. They're just like... <laughs> and on my own projects, because, you know, I, maybe I have a huge ego, I'm not sure where it is, but I'm in basically everything I've done. Because when you star as an actor, the reason you start moving into directing and writing your own stuff is because no one else is casting you. So I, I've done things where that's, that's basically why I did it. It's like, I want to get this out there. This is about me wanting to act... Trying to make things. This is my character. I wrote it for me. 
so you're doing it, but then it comes to the day when you actually now are in the director's chair, and yeah, you get through that first day of filming, it's like, yeah, I did everything the way I wanted to, but now I have to prep for tomorrow, so let me go ahead and stay up a little bit later, uh, like when we were doing When Everything's Gone, everyone was staying in my house, or my parents' house, because I'm an indie filmmaker, come on, I can't afford this place. Um, <laughs> Pictures on the wall. <laughs> well, I will have pictures on my wall, sir. One time. Uh, but everyone was hanging out by the pool, doing their thing. Um, and I was up working on the next day's shot list, learning my lines. Uh, I felt like a quarterback of a really good football team. Hopefully a really good football team. I think so. You're the first one in the building and the last one out because you have to make sure everything's right for tomorrow. You have to make sure that you're going to be on top of your game as an actor. You're going to be on top of your game as a director, a producer, writer. You have to be able to do all that. So when you're wearing many hats, yes, you have to be able to communicate to other people and get them to do their jobs. But if you can't do your job because you've decided, I like hats, which I think I have a picture of me with actually many hats and coats on. So <laughs> Be a good thumbnail. Okay, I have it. It's from on set, so it works. But if you can't, if you can't do your job, if you can't do all those jobs right, at the end of the day, you probably shouldn't be in those positions. You shouldn't be doing it. All right. Take care you, of you if, as you well. Get it. Yeah. If you can't do what you need to do, then the film's going to fail. It's not going to work because you need to be able to trust all these people to do their jobs, but they're trusting you right back. So if you're telling someone, I want a medium close-up, you better know what a medium close-up is. And I don't care. Like, if you have to convey it, like, fine. Extreme. That's fine. However you have to do it, do it. But know what you're talking about, know how to communicate mm. it, and then know how to do what you're going to do. Because at the end of the day, especially when you're shooting something that's got a tight schedule, people are going to get frustrated. They're going to get tired. And you're going to see that live performance if you don't know how to get things moving and get your actors to, to act. Uh, we had talked about preparation. You can do an endless amount of preparation. But when you get to set, if something doesn't work out, if uh, inspiration strikes or if your cinematographer says, check this out, um, sometimes that prep, it helps, but maybe your storyboard has to sit aside for a little bit now i've worked with you on set and you're very loose which i really admire so how do you get to that point or what do you look for it's called acting my friend i'm not really loose i'm very very tight <laughs> a lot no um <laughs> i think well first off you're on a movie set you're on a movie set you're on a, a tv show set web series whatever you want no no one gets to do this and even in our small community of like any filmmakers where most of the time we're not getting paid, we're not going to get more than 100 views maybe on something. You're still doing something that so many people only think about and don't even try to do. So don't be like text about it. You have to enjoy what you're doing. You have to be able to adjust and just... It's fun. Collaboration is fun. I, I've done films where I've done like seven edits because I trust my collaborators. And they don't think it's there yet. So instead of saying, you know what? I think it's there. Forget you guys. You, you try and get it there. Hmm. Um, I mean, I know for whatever thing's gone, I've asked for your notes. And I won't lie. Sometimes I get a note from you and say, what? Get out of here. And then I go look at it. It's like, 
okay, not quite what he was saying, but I get it. Yes. I get it. I'm going to do yep. this. I, aha. I, I get what he's feeling. I understand that. So you have to be able to do that, both on set and after in post-production. Uh, I think a great example of taking that preparation, and this is an extreme as an actor, director, everything, taking that preparation and saying, well, we're just going to have to toss it out the window really quick. Um, so for when everything's gone, because it spans like two or three years in time, and it's about someone who's been stranded on their own for at least a year. Uh, I think it's two years in the film, so you're surviving. So I, I made sure I had a good amount of chub back when I started. I was a little chubby. And the goal was to take a year and lose weight. Hmm. And also grow a sweet beard. Way nice. sweeter than this beard. <laughs> so I'm letting my hair grow out. My beard is really like, it's, it's here. It's, it's nice. And we're it's this December, and we weren't even planning on filming again at least till February. We didn't we didn't film again till February. We were trying to raise money, but I was also waiting tables to make money at the time, and I kept it nice. It was bushy, but the restaurant I worked for was, for some reason, behind my my back had a call. It's like, yeah, we're talking about all employees with beards. It's like here you are. Ooh, you mean me? And, <laughs> yeah, and like and, and we're saying you know. If it's not a certain length, we might have to have you wear a beard at a table. Which and is just weird, because then everybody else is thinking about, oh. Yeah. Well, it's like, it's, it's like right fall now, my you suit. go out, and it's very necessary right now. You see someone wearing a mask, and you're like, <gasps> hey. Same thing. You see someone come up and give you mozzarella sticks wearing a beard net, you're like, you got beard place? <laughs> you start thinking you the worst, yeah. That's disgusting. <laughs> There's definitely going to be a hair in my food, and I know that. So, on the spot that day, because I'm like, they're going to make me do this the next time I work. I called up Will, my cinematographer, said, hey, you free tomorrow? We need to shoot some scenes, because my beard might go and be a little bit shorter, and I don't want to have wasted this beard. We need to use this thing, because... I just spent the past six months growing this. Beard is a terrible thing to waste. Exactly. So I did all that prep. Tons of prep as an actor. Personal trainer. Getting skinny. And luckily I was skinny enough at the time to where it cuts together. But I did all that work. But luckily I also did my prep for cinematography. So I kind of knew what the shots were going to be. So we want impromptu shoot day. Just me and him and a camera. And want and shawl stuff a beard and stuff ended up on the cutting floor like me taking scissors to my beard to try and explain it. So it ended up in the film just being something we shot and it kind of cuts together well. I guess I grew the beard back enough by the time we were filming again that's there. You might notice beard length, but the thing is, we just ran around with a camera and got the shots we needed. And we said, oh, let's go to this hill. And the very beginning of the film is me like trying to get up this hill. Struggling, and guess what? It's real. I was really falling down a hill. It was written in the script to be struggling, but I was scared. I was going to tumble down to the train tracks below because, all right, let's just shoot this handheld. Let's go. There's no safety. There's nothing. There's no mats. We're not going to worry about angles. We're just going to shoot this. We're going to run around and get the shots, and then we'll cut it together because you have to be prepared to do that. And that's the thing. There's a, there's a happy medium between preparation and improvisation. I think anytime you're doing anything from acting to shots to the editing, editing bay, um, I mean, 
right down to casting. Uh, for Nomad, I had a different actress in the lead role before the great Sarah Weber joined me as my co-star, and I took a leap of faith. She had some fitness videos. She's a very good fitness model that were on YouTube. I'm like, I'm going to cast her. She was recommended. I'm, I'm going to cast her and see what happens. It, it worked out. <laughs> it worked out great, but because it was so late, like that we brought her in, it was literally like, come, come film a thing. We're, we're going to do this. For one thing, the first thing she did, the script sitting on the floor, out of frame in case she had to check it. Funny. But there's other scenes where it's like, well, we had to shoot a long take. This is in the script as a long take, and I don't want to change it. We don't have time to change it. It's a two-shot. And what happened was the performance may not have worked on my end, on her end, um, for part of the scene, but other moments did. So you impromptu in the editing day when you realize it's not working you say what can I do and I'm a big fan of uh, I, I like Christopher Nolan movies I really enjoy the way he'll use flash cuts and cross cutting and I've used that in my movies it's one of those things you have to see your inspirations on scene I know it's like Tarantino they like to say is like he loves to steal mm-hmm. and some people say he remixes and maybe it's a little more obvious but I think all filmmakers your influences are there no matter what you do so one thing I take from him is the idea of the crosscut. And I want I said, how about what's being said in this conversation? I take shots we either used or didn't use, and we show them. We show them over the scene just to convey that emotion, and we let the score swell. And These things happen not by plan sometimes. Sometimes you're just like, let's go. We're doing it that way. Um, and sometimes another influence, Steven Spielberg, I think almost every filmmaker can say Spielberg. He's an influence, and I've loved his wonders. The way he does a long take, and a lot of times I write that into my scripts. I want a, I want a long take. Almost every film I've done has a long take, because I think that really does a lot for your film, depending on the moment. It can build tension. It can build humor. You can go ahead, and it just shows the craft. Um, it can show geography. But there, there's a moment when we're trying to get something done, in, uh, when everything's gone, there's like, you know what, our schedule is too tight, we don't have time to get this the way we want to do it, and we only have this day to do it. Let's do this with a long take. And it just so happens to be a scene that the tension is building. So you know in that moment, in the script it was, let's do it this way, let's use a long take here, because this is tense, and it's going to go from this fun moment to like, let's move around the tailings. Credit to my DPs because they're able to work this stuff out and get it going. You get a couple rehearsals in, but when you can move that camera and do it well and pull focus well and do it without any planning, it just there's something very visceral and great about that. Every time you do it on set, that it gets me excited. Those happy accidents on film sets uh, for all the planning you do that that's always what makes me happy. Yeah, great. Thank you. So we got Alex Alessi, filmmaker from Central Jersey. Alex, do you have a production company? Where can we view your previous work? Um, I do have technically a production company called Everything's Gone LLC. Um, you can go find anything I've done on alexalessi.com. If you're interested in where everything's gone, there's a where everything's gone.com. Um, and we're definitely submitting to film festivals right now. So, you know, they cost money if you got, you got a couple of dollars. Donate, but you know, donate to like Feed America and stuff first. We're in a pandemic, it's important. Um, but yeah, you can find everything at Uh, YouTube links, playing short films, 
Uh, you can find, I think, links to stuff I've done with Andrew, which is great. The connection, check it out. Yeah. Shameless plugs are always welcome. <laughs> and yeah, I'm, I'm available on all uh, Facebooks, Instagrams, Twitters, wherever Alex Lessons are found. And we'll have links in the description, also a link to your first feature film, Nomad, which is on Amazon Prime right now. Yes, it is. Please give it views. Give it some love. Give it a comment. If I read another bad review, I might cry. Most are good, though, so check it out. <laughs> <laughs> thanks again alex uh please like and subscribe it's somewhere around here thanks a lot i mean take care get it on the screen it's it's gonna be on the, it's gonna be it's gonna be right here. it's on the screen thanks for going indie depth